On this episode, I'm featuring a session from the 2019 BitBlock Boom Conference given by Mike Schmidt. Let's take a listen. BitBlock Boom! All right. Uh, thanks, Gary, for giving me the opportunity to speak about this potential next version of Bitcoin. Um, so who here has heard of these words taproot or schnorr, these kind of buzzwords these days? Um, yeah, so the, the proposed next version of Bitcoin is going to involve both of these technologies sort of interplaying. And um, we want to talk about what, what are these technologies, what's Schnorr, what's Taproot, but also more importantly, how do we use these things? Why is it important that a Bitcoin user or a holder, hodler, um, understands these technologies? What, what value does it, does it add? Um, there's a lot of technical stuff here, and maybe not technical enough for the technical people, maybe too technical for the non-technical people. Um, but if you have any questions, one, I have a handout uh, link that'll be at the end of the presentation, which has a whole bunch of links to useful explanations of varying technical um, prowess. Um, and then I'll be at the dinner tonight if you wanna talk with me then. Um, a little bit about myself. Um, I contribute to Bitcoin Optech. We do, thank you. <laughs> we do uh, evangelism between some of the core developers and um, Bitcoin companies that, that use um, Bitcoin and, and try to facilitate communication there. We have a, a newsletter that you should subscribe to if you're technically minded and we do some in-person workshops as well where we try to um, build those relationships and roll out the technology. Um, but I am not representing Optech for purposes of this presentation. Um, previously, I was a, a web developer before I fell down the, the Bitcoin rabbit hole a few years ago. Um, and I love Bitcoin. I'm excited to, to be in the space. We all love Bitcoin. How could Bitcoin be better, right? Um, you ask people at this conference, you may, you know, well, price, right? Number go up, we talked about that, of course, but um, what other enhancements might make sense that could support this number go up hypothesis and, and support the price from a technical perspective? Um, if you ask some people, some people might say scalability. Um, another word for scalability could be efficiency in this scenario. Um, so more on-chain capacity, cheaper transaction fees, um, and then maybe only paying for, for what you use. Um, and what I mean by only paying for what you use is, this is a screenshot of um, blockstream.info block explorer and the, the red box down there highlights the, the script that needs to be revealed in order to spend your Bitcoin. And you need to reveal that script regardless of if you execute part of that contract or part of that script or, or all of it. And um, so that can lead to um, either paying large fees to have a complicated script or just not wanting to use the script in general. Um, and some examples of larger scripts um, where you could have m many conditionals, um, you get a very pro prohibitive to spend um, output. So scaling is one improvement um, that we could talk about. Um, other people would say something like privacy. So you, because these scripts are visible, you can tell sort of what kind of uh, output and what kind of transaction um, a, a certain spend is, and we'll get to, to that in the next slide, um, but that's not great for privacy. Um, additionally, the, the scripts themselves are visible. You can see what the logic is there. 
Um, and then you can also see the participants, uh, not in a meet space way, but um, if it's a multi-sig, you can see who, who's our, who the participants are. Also, um, you can tell that what the number of signers, which could also give away certain information as certain technologies use certain thresholds for signing. Um, and we can see that in the next slide as well. So what we have today in Bitcoin is, is something like this. We have these, these very distinct um, balls or, or outputs or spends, however you want to think about it in this analogy. Uh, these scripts can reveal the nature of that transaction. So you have something like, well, there's a lightning closed transaction. I can see that right there. It has a very um, uh, pronounced script that you can see on the chain that everybody can see. That's not great for privacy. Um, Similarly, you can, say, you can tell that something like BitGo or something like a green address wallet um, is transacting because they do two of two or, or two of three. Um, likewise, it's the same thing applies to like a liquid peg out. If you're taking money out of the liquid network, you can tell because they have that federation that um, is 11 to 15. So you'll see something, some multi-sig that, that looks like that. Uh, it, it goes on and on, three of five, single sig. Um, or, or an atomic swap has a certain transaction um, structure as well. So some people think scalability is important, some think privacy important, um, and there's a, yet another group that thinks innovation is the most important thing. So things like, well, because these scripts are um, so expensive, um, people aren't using them. Because they're not private, people don't want to write these scripts and, and have their privacy out there, um, or leaking some privacy. Um, there's a limited number of operations that you can do in a script, um, limiting the, the innovation that you can um, have in, in these smart contracts. Um, it's hard to add new functionality. Bitcoin, you know, is this immutable thing, right? So it's, it's hard to add to. Um, and then uh, capping the number of multi-sig transactors. So you have scalability, privacy, or innovation. So where do you go, right? Which we tackle first? Well, why not all three, right? Um, and so BitMEX Research put a, an article on um, Schnorr and Taproot recently, and this is a quote from the article. I'll just read it verbatim. In our view, the benefits associated with this soft fork are not likely to be controversial. This soft fork appears to be a win-win-win for capability, scalability, and privacy. And I think that's a, a good way to, to frame your mind about what's happening at a high level is it's maybe not a bullet, a silver bullet for each one of these, but it's, it's helping address each one of these. Um, okay, so great. So Schnorr and, and Taproot can help some of these problems, but um, like what exactly are these things and, and how can we use them as Bitcoin users? So let's start with Schnorr. So first we'll do the basics. Um, we have uh, signature and verification equations here where R is a random nonce chosen by the signer. Um, I'm just kidding. Do, do, does anybody know what these equations are? <laughs> I, I don't know what, what they are either really. Maybe, maybe Jimmy can tell us next. Um, so let's start with the real basics. So all, all Bitcoins are locked up um, in a lock that, that only the owner of the key um, can spend. But you don't just send your key out onto the network to, to spend your coins, right? Um, because somebody else could see that key and they could spend those coins then. Um, so, so what you do is you prove ownership of the key by using a signature. Um, and, and that's um, how you prove that, that you have the key in order to spend, spend the funds to begin with. Um, so these signatures kind of play a role in between the, the key and the lock, if you will, in this analogy. Um, so to, to look at it visually, this is a bit crude visualization, um, and the technical people are, are rolling in their 
in their seats right now, but um, you have sort of this public key on one side that, that's like the lock, and then you have this key that can open it, and like the, the signature is the thing that, that connects the two. Um, and so what we're doing when we're, we're adding Schnorr signatures to Bitcoin is we're replacing that digital signature, which is currently ECDSA, um, with all we're doing is taking that and replacing it with a Schnorr signature. It's just a different type of signature. And replacing is probably not the right word because you can actually continue to use ECDSA if you'd like. So it's backward compatible. Um, so we're just giving another option for signatures, if you will. Okay, so now we know a little bit about digital signatures. Let's talk about Schnorr signatures. In a like oversimplified nutshell, Schnorr signatures are a way to stuff some additional data into a signature along with the signature itself. Again, oversimplified, but I think it, it gives you the idea that we can kind of put some things in there and we'll talk about the interesting things that you can put in there. Uh, the, the first type of hidden data that you can put into a Schnorr signature is additional signatures. So let's say that we have a Bitcoin address that is um, a two of two with Alice and Bob. And in order for the funds to be spent, both of them have to sign off on the transaction. Um, in Bitcoin's existing ECDSA, what you have is you have Alice signature, Bob signature, and that equals Alice and Bob signature. There's, it's just really simple. It's, it's, it's both, both sides are the same. Um, but with Schnorr, you have Alice plus Bob equals Alice and Bob signature. So the, the color here is to sort of help you understand that, it's, that that green encapsulates both the yellow and the blue um, all in one signature without having to have two, two separate signatures. So uh, some people may say, well, well, why would you ever choose ECDSA? Why, why not Schnorr from, from the get-go? And there, there has to do with um, some lack of ecosystem around Schnorr signatures related to a patent that was held for 20 years and expired right around the time. Satoshi released Bitcoin, of which stifled some of the innovation. Also, Satoshi used a certain library that I think had ECDSA built in. So um, what we're talking about here is key aggregation. And what that is, is it's, you're combining multiple keys and signatures in, into one. And so the example that we saw, the, the, the two of two, um, that becomes one signature. The, you could have a 50 of 50, and that's one signature. You could have a threshold signature, which is, let's say, um, some, I just picked some numbers here, 37 of 87. That could be one signature. And so to beat it into, here it is again. There's that arrow with the Schnorr signature. <clears throat> and you could have three different signatures embedded in there, Alice, Bob, and Charlie. Um, but there's other things. There's, more in there's other interesting properties of this Schnorr signature that it unlock additional features as well. Um, so the linearity property is what we just described, which is you can add these signatures together and it, and it can all enca be encapsulated in one signature, um, call it magic. Um, so uh, we saw that the, we just swapped out the signature algorithm in that, that animation. You can actually use existing private keys, private and public keys with Schnorr, which is great because you don't have to have like this separate keychain for um, these whole new private and public keys that, that you would need to use. You can use the existing infrastructure um, to build on top of, of Schnorr, so we don't have to reinvent a lot of this stuff. Um, oh, just a scaling <clears throat> space savings of, of 10%, which is obviously nice for scalability. Um, the signatures are just 10% smaller. 
And then there's actually a formal security proof for Schnorr, whereas there's not one available for um, ECDSA, so that's nice. Um, and then finally, it's, it's just better. There's sort of like this category of things underneath there, like the, the signature can't be malleated, which, which helps with a variety of, of second layer protocols. Um, it's simpler. Um, there's a, a few other things there that I won't get into. Um, okay, so we have these ability to create these Schnorr signatures. H how do we actually do it? Let's introduce another buzzword. So music key aggregation. So we have our three keys, like the, th the three of us that want to be in this multi-signature. Um, and we want to be able to have this aggregated key. Well, I've, I've glossed over how exactly that works, but, and, and we're not going to get too deep, but that technology, one available technology to do that is called MUSIC, if you've heard of that. The Blockstream guys put out that paper, and it's a way to combine these keys into, into one. Um, there, there are other proposed schemes for um, creating shore multi-signatures, um, and people are working on others and, and iterating on this problem. One thing that's important to note is that um, the MUSIC scheme, and I, I believe all the ones that are known are, they require off-chain interactivity. So Alice and, and Bob and Charlie all have to sort of work together outside of the Bitcoin, outside of the Bitcoin network um, to coordinate and, and get that key created and then, and then um, signing as well. So it's, it's a, an important consideration. Um, okay, so now we have this aggregated key, how do we sign? In ECDSA land, you'd have um, the two of three with uh, the, th the three pub keys that are part of the um, signing group, and then you'd have at least two of the of the signatures. So that's this 243 bytes, and when we cut that down and put that into transaction, when we cut it down into Schnorr, all of that just becomes one Schnorr signature. So you get rid of all that da data. And anytime you're getting rid of data, one, it's going to be good for scalability, it's going to be good for your fee rate, and it's also going to be good for privacy because if there's less data that you're putting on the chain, there's less data that anybody else can see. Um, so great, we, we save a ton of space, fees, and privacy using um, you know, if we're using multi-sig, um, but what else does Schnorr enable? So in addition to be able to have these, like what I call like hidden signatures in there, Schnorr has the, the ability to also have um, like extra snippets of hidden data that can be embedded. I, I'm using like all kinds of analogies and improper terminology here, but I think you get the idea. It's not just a signature that can be loaded in there. You can have additional things. And um, one of these is called an adapter signature. And so I like to think of this like in my mental model as um, invisible ink. So you have the signature, so I'm sending coins and I'm signing per normal to, to move those coins. But along with that signature is sort of, if you have this decoder light, you can see that there's something else there. And that secret allows you to do some interesting things um, that nobody can detect except for the party that has this sort of light, your, your, your partner in this scenario. Um, so by sending the coins, you're revealing some additional information. So what, what can we do with this, like, this invisible ink? There's a, there's a few different things. One, it, it doesn't have to be cross-chain, but you can do atomic swaps. So um, for a maximalist group, that may not be appealing, but you could think of different, you could think of use cases where you're swapping coins within the Bitcoin network. You could swap, you could do atomic swap um, between Bitcoin and um, Liquid. Um, and back, and so, uh, or, or to other chains, of course, you could um, swap to an altcoin or 
uh, any other uh, any other chain just to to trade. I mean, so atomic swap means if I'm sending you Bitcoin, you're sending me Litecoin. That, that both of those operations happen, or they don't happen at all. So there's no way for like me to send the coins and I don't get the other coins back. So it's pretty cool because you can actually have this atomic swap. You could you could theoretically atomic swap into the liquid network, and it wouldn't um, and, and then swap back and it would be embedded in that signature so that you wouldn't be revealing very much information at all. Uh, a second example is um, uh, these coin swaps. So this is similar to um, a coin join, but there's like, it's, it's similar to Tumblebit. Like I think there's a central party there, um, but there's, there's um, a Tumblr without revealing like which coins are being swapped. Um, so you can look into Tumblebit. I think I put this in the handout as well. Um, there's some really crazy stuff. This is Andrew Polstra, like wizard level. Um, the ability to, his example is, I could give you a proof that I have a solution to a Sudoku puzzle, and, but not give you the solution, but just prove to you that I have a solution in zero knowledge, and that when you send me the Bitcoin to pay for that Sudoku solution, this, this solution is revealed in that payment which is like magic level, like I, I don't know exactly how it works, but you should look into that because there's, there's a lot of use cases there as well. But there's other data that we can put into a Schnorr signature as well. Um, there's some interesting things on, uh, with payment channels that people are talking about being able to, to do with adapter signatures. So ad adapter signatures, I don't think I mentioned, but that's sort of like this, what I was calling like the, this, the hidden data is this adapter signature. And then there's other th of these called scriptless scripts and people are working on these ideas. Um, a lot of the, the math people are working on these sorts of things. Um, but what we want to talk about today is um, what else we could put in there is a script, and that's what Taproot is. So the simplified nutshell version of Taproot is it's the hiding of a script in a normal-looking transaction using Schnorr signatures. So just like we were hiding these atomic swaps or, or these pieces of data, you can also share, uh, you can also hide a script in there. And, and so that enables some interesting things we'll jump into. Um, so there's no more spending to a key or spending to a script because all addresses will be scripts and keys. You'll be able to be, be, the coins will be able to be spent one uh, or either of those ways. And so I've heard this like termed pay to taproot, P2TR. Um, and so you could have the key in this scenario, since all addresses have this key and a script, the key could be a Schnorr signature, so it could be a one of one, two of two, whatever we talked about, two of three, it could be a threshold. And you could spend using that um, construction, that aggregated key, if you will. But the, you can also spend using the script. And the script could be multiple scripts. They could be large scripts. Um, and we'll get into the, the sort of metrics on that. Um, and it, it's hidden um, unless you use it. So it's kind of like waiting there. And you can reveal like, that, that there was a script after the fact and then what path you took on that script. We'll, we'll get into some examples there. And so if you've heard of like SegWit version zero, like this, this is SegWit version one. So this is like the next version of, of SegWit is this, the combination of these technologies, Taproot and TapScript. So let's, let's look, there's a visualization of, of how this works. This is from a BitMEX blog post. It's also linked in, in the handout. Um, it's a, a little hard to walk through, but there's a, let me see if I can get it. There's a, this is our Schnorr signature down here, our two of two. This is um, 
uh, sort of uh, a combination of, of all the scripts that are part of our script. So this whole right side is like, you can think of it as the scripts, and then this is our two of two, and it com those two combine into like what you could think of as our address. So our address is hiding behind it this set of scripts as well as this um, key where we can do our normal quote-unquote signing. And what this blue box around here is, is it's indicating that if you spend using the, the, the key, it's called the key path, if you spend using the keys, um, that um, it looks like a normal transaction on the Bitcoin network. So it's just that one signature that we saw earlier, and nobody knows that you had the potential of all this magic behind the scenes. Okay, so what could we do with our hidden script? So this is an example, very basic, like this is just single signature. I have my bread wallet, and all it's doing is one of one. I don't have to use a script if I don't want to. Uh, second example, you could have a two of two, and again, no script. And, but no one's going to know it's a multi-sig because we're just going to put that one transaction or that one signature on chain. Here's a more um, in-depth example. So what this is, is you could spend using the key path, which is a two of three, with my bread wallet, my ledger, and Bitcoin Core. Um, or I can, what, I, what I'm calling like a fallback script, um, you could have a series of fallbacks. So I could immediately spend using a two of two with uh, my backup trezor, let's say, and then maybe a third party service that does some 2FA that, makes, that gives me a phone call to make sure that I wanna actually sign. Um, and that could be a way that I could recover funds. And then after six months, I could have you know, my mom, a, a two of three with um, my mom, um, brother, and Bitstein. Uh, to recover the funds, and then after nine months, I could have something like my lawyer be able to recover the funds. So it's a little bit more in-depth example. And again, with the key spends, no one can tell that any of this is going on. Um, but if we do want to spend on this, any of those scripts, um, we don't want to reveal the entirety of the script. So for example, let's say that I, I lose my uh, ledger and my, my phone. So I'm unable to transact using the normal key path I, I'm gonna have to resort to going to find my treasure wherever that is and, and getting my, my key from my third key provider, to, which is the first clause in this fallback script. I don't want that transaction, this broadcast, to say, hey, by the way, there's also a six month out with these public keys and there's also um, a nine month out with this lawyer guy. Obviously, they don't know the identities, but you get the idea. So how do we execute the script path without revealing any of the details to the public? And so this is the same slide. I've just kind of grayed out the, the script area that's not gonna be revealed. So we're only gonna have to reveal the, the path that we took, the, the script that we executed. So even when we're using the script path, we don't have to show everything. So you could potentially have hundreds of scripts and then you can fall back to one of those and that's the only thing that actually goes on chain. Um, and you may have heard another buzzword called MAST, and MAST is the technology that allows you to sort of split up this script into a variety of different scripts and only reveal the one that you need. So obviously this is, this is great for privacy because people don't know that I have like a, these backup clauses and obviously I don't have to pay for these backup clauses that I don't use, I only pay for the one that I do use. Um, a couple more examples using Taproot. So there, there's just this general category of exchanges and custody that makes sense. You can tell those are the examples I'm using is these fallbacks and, and um, thresholds. Um, there's telescoping multi-sig, which is either going, uh, getting larger or smaller. So you could start off with like a, 
uh, 15 of 20, and then after a timeout, it could, that could, that could um, you could have a script that's like 10 of 13, and then that can go into like a two of three eventually after like a few more months um, for, for different business use cases. Um, ad additionally, there's this idea of a server honeypot that, that Blockstream wrote about a few years back, and I, I won't get into this example, but it's in the handout. And then um, puzzles. So this is like a small one, but um, I think there's, a, there's this $1 million Bitcoin game where there's all these pieces. And I think it's a Shamir's secret sharing hidden all over the world and people are trying to get a certain number of these pieces together so that they can claim the million dollars. And so something like that could also be done using something like Schnorr signatures as well. And you collect the signatures. So we, we talked about we wanted these benefits, right? So scalability benefits. Um, so if you're using multi-sig, it depends on the use case, but something like 30 to 75% savings for large multi-sigs. And what's interesting about this, and I think, I think this is going to have some interesting implications, is multi-sig doesn't cost anything additional in these, these scenarios. So why would you not be using multi-sig, right? So I, I think there's going to be a, pro, a pro, proliferation of multi-sig usage in the coming years, um, assuming these upgrades get rolled out and adopted and consensus and all that. Um, so I, th I think you should be keeping that sort of thing in mind if, if you're an individual or if you're a business as well. And not only are, are there going to be, I think, more usage of multi-sig, I think there's going to be more parties to the multi-sig. So if you think about it, if you're doing custody, like you might want to only do a two or three, not because that's the best business case, but because you don't want to spend the money for an 11 of 15, um, because that's going to be more expensive to transact with. So the fact that you can now transact with these bigger multi-sig parties, I think is going to result in people who are using multi-sig maybe using um, additional um, people to the, to the party. Um, uh, we talked about only partial scripts get revealed, um, only what you, you, you pay for what you reveal for what you use. And so obviously there's a savings there. Um, and then in the future, this is not something that's, that's coming soon, but um, you could do batch verification on um, um, uh, aggregated Schnorr signatures. And if, if you had a block full of, let's say, all Schnorr signatures, the example would be it's like a two and a half times speed up. So if you want to run a full node or if you, are, you think that's important, um, the batch verification um, would be you know, a huge win there. On the privacy front, all spends, sorry, um, all outputs are indistinguishable. We talked about that. Um, the cooperative key spend, it's called cooperative in some cases, but the key spend path um, transactions are also indistinguishable. So as long as you spend using that key that, or that threshold, People can't tell that you have a multi-sig behind it, and everything's going to look the same. And um, you're not revealing that you're using multi-sig. You're not revealing the participants, all those negative things that we talked about before. And then the fallback script, if you, if you do need it, you're only revealing a piece of it. So obviously, that's huge. These, these are all huge privacy things. On the innovation front, um, obviously, the larger multi-sigs are, are possible. Um, the, the limit is something like 4 billion scripts. So I showed like three or whatever that was. So with that limit, there's, like, uh, there's a lot of like interesting things that, that we could think about doing with, with that space. Um, 
SegWit v1, which is this taproot tap script, um, introduces a versioning field to um, taproot itself, and which enables like 256 versions of tap script. So you could introduce different features with each, within each version of that. So that's interesting because some people um, ask, like, aren't there only like 16 or 17 SegWit versions? Well, there's that, but you could have these, these notion of these subversions as well. MAST is just the, the first um, version of that. Um, and there, there's some small script changes to the normal Bitcoin script using TabScript, but I don't think it's anything notable for this presentation. And there could be additional innovation around MUSIG and the, the way that these keys are created um, so that it's not maybe so intensive in terms of coordinating individuals going through these like three rounds of feedback to generate these keys. So we started with those balls that were all different colors and it was kind of clear who was doing what. Well, we could sort of end up in this scenario where we can no longer easily distinguish coins and spends. So you, you get this pay to tap root kind of appearing everywhere as people start adopting the technology. And it's a little bit, you know, maybe everything looking exactly the same is strong to say, but it, it's a little bit more homogenous and a little bit more private in that way. So I'd like to go into a little bit about like how Schnorr and Taproot fit into the larger Bitcoin ecosystem. So you don't want to write these Taproot scripts by hand, even if, even if the words that I can write on these slides is fairly simple, like after two months, you know, my mom and my brother can sign or whatever, that, that's like not really easy to write in Bitcoin script. And so there's this thing called Miniscript that's being worked on and script descriptors kind of fit into some of this where it allows you to write these policies at, at like sort of a higher level. And so you don't have to write all this necessary lower level code. Um, so that's something that's being worked on. I think it'll be interesting here. As I stated, my own personal theory is that multi-sig is going to be everywhere. I think everyone's going to use it. There's not going to be a really good reason not to use it. And so this technology called partially signed Bitcoin transaction is the, the format in which you can pass around a transaction. Let's say I'm the first signer. Um, so I sign and I need to pass to the second party so that they sign. The, the format that you pass that around with and how you pass that around, those, those sorts of things are going to innovate um, in, in the coming years and be really interesting. And, and PSBT is uh, a part of that, the data format, and not necessarily how you pass it around, but what you're, what you're passing around. Um, so coin join, incentivize coin join. So right now, we, we talked about that for a, a given input that you could have this uh, signature aggregation or combining of signatures. Now, you can't combine um, all everything into one, like one transaction is not gonna have one signature yet. That's something that, that the developers are working on. Um, and at the time that they have this, what's called cross input aggregation, um, so that one transaction can have one, one signature regardless of the number of inputs, what you, what you have there is you have this incentivized reason to, to coin join, because if you only need one signature and you can have potentially 100 participants, 100 inputs and 100 outputs and only one signature, that is cheaper to be a part of that group and, and get the economies of scale there than it is um, to just send a regular transaction, one, in, one input, one on output tra transaction yourself. So that incentivizes people to do coin joins, right? And, and, and you won't be doing it necessarily overtly for privacy reasons, you'll be doing it for, for space savings. So I, I think that's another thing to keep an eye on as well. 
And there's some interesting things ar around Lightning and, and channel factories and being able to onboard a lot of people in a single transaction and things like that. But there's these are kind of like a little bit more in the in the future. And and, and quite frankly, I, I I don't think they're baked enough. So what is Schnorr and Taproot not? So it's not these things called Graphroot or Groot, if you've heard these other terms. Those are things that developers are working on for subsequent either um, TapScript versions or um, Segwit versions. And they're cool, you should, you should look into those. Uh, there's, a, there's another soft fork that's proposed called SigHatch No Input, it's not that. There's another soft fork called the Great Consensus Cleanup that fixes some edge case bugs in Bitcoin, and this is not that. Uh, people talk about quantum resistance, this is not that. Um, we talked about the, uh, having one signature for a transaction, not yet, maybe in the, maybe in the future. And, we, and people have talked about like one, trans, one signature for the entire block, and this is not that either, at least not, not in its current state. Okay, so when do, we, when do we get this next version of Bitcoin? So Bitcoin upgrades, um, I'm running a little bit short on time, so I'll, I'll go quick here. Um, it's like, how does Bitcoin, I, I thought, you know, I thought this thing was immutable, so I thought this is like a mountain, how we get, how, we can have these upgrades, how does that work? Um, so just a quick overview of how these things might get rolled out, or usually get rolled out. There's something, there's some innovation, some idea that somebody has that they've thought of and they're discussing it with their, uh, on the mailing list or the chat rooms. That leads to this Bitcoin improvement proposal. Um, a BIP, they're called, and that's a formalization of the, of the idea. And that rolls into um, getting feedback from the community. And that rolls into eventually getting enough feedback that you can um, create an implementation. Eventually, it needs to activate in some way on the network, so you need, we need to coordinate everybody um, or some, some percentage of the community to, to activate and say, yes, we do want this thing. And then eventually services like wallets and exchanges adopt that particular technology. So where's Schnorr and Taproot? Collecting feedback still. Um, so I, I do believe there's some work on implementation, but it's not something that, like, it, it's, like the implementation is ready and going to happen. Although I think from what I'm gathering, there's not a lot of negative feedback about this, so um, perhaps it won't be too contentious. Um, a couple more little tidbits about the upgrade, it's, it's only 500 lines of consensus code, um, which I'm, I'm not a core developer, but I've been told is not a large um, amount of code to review in terms of consensus code, although that's always um, something you want to be safe about. Um, it's going to be an easier technical upgrade for ecosystem partners like wallets and, and exchanges and anybody who's interacting with Bitcoin to adopt because it's simply just flipping the SegWit version up. And there's some other things going on there, of course. But like SegWit, introducing SegWit, SegWit was a, a bigger um, jarring change for community. So don't expect it to like, take too long to, to be adopted. It's completely opt-in. So if you don't like any of this, what I'm saying today, you don't have to even know it exists or use it ever, which is awesome. And that, you, you, you broke it. <laughs> Uh, so that rolls into the fact that it's backward compatible and we can like talk, I have a little slide on forks I'll go through quickly because it's meat related and this is a carnivore audience. So you can think of consensus like the set of rules that run Bitcoin today. And that's, let's say you're following a carnivore diet. Um, if you're doing a soft fork in this analogy, 
you're restricting the rules and that is like eating only ribeyes like that that's like a soft fork of carnivore and if you're going to do a hard fork of carnivore that's going to be like going from eating only meat to, to also eating like plants so it'd be going uh, omnivore so you're changing the rules uh, um, uh, of, of the game and so I'm not talking about chain splits or anything like that. This is just the way that changes can be rolled, in, rolled into Bitcoin. Um, so you don't want to have a hard fork because it's not backwards compatible, essentially. All right, so when are we going to get it? Nobody knows. Um, how hard will it be to activate? Nobody knows. What activation mechanism is it going to use? I don't think anybody's proposed an activation mechanism for, for these changes yet, meaning that's how, like, how people vote on it, if you will, or signal for it or whatnot. Okay, what, what can you do? Well, you can learn. You can review the handout and some of the links on there if you're interested in this topic. Um, you can subscribe to the Bitcoin Optech newsletter. We provide updates when available um, related to the mailing list or any discussions that are happening in the developer channels. Um, you can explore use cases on your own and, and share that with the community. I tried to share a few today. Um, and then you can encourage adoption from your ecosystem partners, whether that's the wallet that you use or the um, exchange that you use to, to adopt these sorts of technologies so that you can use them yourself. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the BitBlockBoom podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review or share the BitBlockBoom podcast with your friends. Also, make sure and take a look at this year's lineup of speakers that are at bitblockboom.com. And if you use the code COUSINS when purchasing your conference tickets, you'll receive 30% off the price of a general admission ticket. I hope I get to meet you in Dallas next year at the next BitBlockBoom. Thanks for listening. BitBlockBoom!